you have your Bibles this morning, take them and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I don't think I've ever seen so much excitement about a chapter in Corinthians. Where was Deborah at? So there she is. I am, it does my heart good when you read ahead, but it does my heart even better when you do a social media campaign to get people to come to church. Love it, love it. It was so great. And I pray that whatever food she cooked was really good for that Sunday school class. It was? Great. Take your copy of God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And today we come to the famous chapter on head coverings. And sadly, many people want to skip over this chapter. They would rather, they would rather not look at this chapter because... Since, you know, we don't do head coverings or whatever over here in America and in our culture, we see that this, that this chapter is not relevant for us as though God himself was mistaken when he looked down the corridors of history and saw today and thought, well, you know, they'll just skip over this chapter. No, brothers and sisters, if we are careful and as we just saying, if we are faithful to, to hold on to these doctrines and to walk through them, what you will find here, and especially in this chapter, in the providence of God, in the very providence of God, this chapter is extremely relevant for the church of today in a godless culture like ours today. This chapter is extremely relevant for us as you and I are seeking to be a healthy church, a, a church that loves the Lord and is faithful to walk faithfully with Him in a culture that is everything but faithful. And so this is very relevant for you and I today, though I will tell you now it is not politically correct. And so today we are going to look at God's divine order and so we're only going to cover the first six verses this morning, and then next week I'll get to expound even more on this and show you the beauty of what we're going to see here. But I want you to see four things this morning in the passage, in these first six verses. I want you to see the praise, the principle, the problem, and the prerogative. The praise, the principle, the problem, and the prerogative. So, so let's begin this morning, beginning in verse 1, I'm sorry, in verse 2 of chapter 11. He now starts this new section here in verse 2. He says, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of, every, of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces him, his head. But every woman who has her head covered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the or one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is but if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off, her head shaved, let her cover her head. And may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Notice first the praise that Paul begins here in verse 2 with a praise to the church. He says to them, I now praise you because you remember me and everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered to you. 
Um, if you have been with us at any point in through this study of Corinthians over the last year, what you will have noticed is, is that Paul has been rather harsh at times with this church in, in correcting them, rebuking them, doing some discipline with this church. And so one could imagine that the letter of Corinthians was a very uh, difficult letter for the, Paul, the Apostle Paul to write. Because it is a letter that he is writing to people that he loves dearly. If you remember, he said they are his children in the Lord. But yet, like children, you have to discipline them at times. And so he has done this through the letter. And so I think that it's very important for you and I to come to this new section. And that Paul, who's about to lay down some really hard things for us in the next several chapters, that he begins with a praise to them. We must understand that it is important for you and I to see and celebrate the sanctification of God in the lives of the brethren. That in the life of those that we love, in the life that we are doing a relation with and worship with. That we praise people for what God is doing in their life. Because let's just be honest, we're not who we want to be, but praise God that those who are in Christ are not who they were, right? Amen. We're not who we were, we're not who we want to be, but we're not who we were. So God is still working on me. And so though this church has had some hiccups, though this church has had some problems, the Apostle Paul takes a moment to say to them, I give praise to you that you still remember the teachings and traditions that I have given to you, and you're looking to follow them. You're you're still holding on to some of them. Now, they may not be doing all of them right, but they are still doing them in the general principle. But this word traditions here will help us in another way. It's not only a praise that we find here, it is also context, which is going to help us understand this whole head covering. So so notice that the word traditions, that means that which has been passed along by teaching. A lot of times in the Gospels where we see the, the traditions of the Pharisees, it was very negative, but it's not negative here, it is positive. In other words, what Paul is saying is you are still holding on to the teachings that I have given you. And so he says it is worthy of praise, but for you and I, it is an area, an area of understanding. What does Paul mean by the traditions that they are holding on to? Well, let me just kind of give you a little bit of a spoiler over the next few verses, over the next few chapters. In verse 4, we see this issue of praying and prophesying. All right, praying is talking directly to God, prophesying meaning to speak to God, uh, to speak forth God's message in His revelation that has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. There in verses 23 and 24, in that section, Paul was going to talk about the bread and the cup, which goes to what? Lord's Supper, right? So we're talking about the Lord's Supper. Then in verses, in chapters 12 and chapter 14, you got that verse 13 there with the issue of love. You're going to get this issue of spiritual gifts and the speaking in tongues. And so what you have here is praying, prophesying, Lord's Supper, and speaking in tongues and spiritual gifts. Everything that takes place in the gathering of the saints. Everything that takes place in the gathering of the saints when they come to worship the Lord, or they come to meet for business, or they come to do ministry. And so what you have here is the context of Sunday morning worship. What you have here is the context of the people of God gathering together for the worship and the service and the love and the fellowship of one another, but mainly for the worship and the service of the Lord. Why does this matter? Beloved, you and I must come to grips with this idea, with this, with this important doctrinal truth, this important principle. It's not just what you do, it is how you do it that also matters. It's not just what you do, because the Corinthians were having church. 
They, they were meeting together and, and singing songs and preaching and praying and taking the Lord's Supper. And they were using their gifts. But Paul is saying, praise God for that, but you've got some things wrong. You've got some areas of critiquing. And so it's not just what we do, but how we do it that also matters. And so this is one of those things that in our day, because we're so pragmatic, that we think as long as we do such and such, or as long as we meet for worship, we're good. It really doesn't matter what songs we sing or how we sing them. That doesn't matter. But as long as I attended a church service, then everything is well. And Paul is saying here, praise God you went to church. Praise God your church is having church. But it's also, what matters also is how you have church. And boy, this is the reason why we have the core value of God honoring worship. That it's important to worship. But it's also important in how we worship. That's one of our, our core values as a church. And so, it's important that we sing. But it's important in how we sing. And what we see through the scriptures and through the epistles and what we see in the Old Testament and New Testament is that we are to sing together. There is a congregational singing. There is a joining together and singing songs and hymns and psalms together to the Lord. It's important that you preach, yes, but it's important in how you preach. We, we don't just get up and talk about politics and we don't just get up and just emotionally call people to do things. We, we preach expositionally. We, we, we go to the Word of God and we let the Word of God be our authority and we exegete the Word of God and it goes forth. We, we, it's important that we, that we do something, you know, that when we come to church. So it's important that you come to church, but it's also important how you come to church and how you, how you participate. What you are doing while I'm preaching, what you are doing while Brother Trey is leading us in music, what you're doing while we're praying, that you are participating in the service in appropriate ways. But also what is important, beloved, is the the divine principle that we're going to look at of authority and submission. A church must be led. It's, It's important that a church have leaders. It's important that people follow. But it is also important in how we carry that out. And so that comes to the divine principle that the Apostle Paul is talking about. So so understand first, he praises them for what they're doing, but he gives us the context that what he's about to deal with here is dealing with the church coming together in the corporate worship setting. Okay, so so, so notice with me now in verse 3. He says, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and and the man is the head of the woman, or a woman, and God is the head of Christ. What we have here, beloved, is the divine principle that must be applied to the traditions that Paul has passed on to us. And what is this principle? What is this? It is called the divine principle, the principle of divine order. That God has divinely decreed a way in which the world has been ordered, in which which we are to function in this world, in which we are to function here in the church. And I'm really going to get to expound on this next week about creation before the fall and then the church, how is a recreating after the fall. But we'll get into that next week. But what you see here is a principle of authority and submission. Now, here's what's interesting. You, we have authority and submission. We expect that in the workplace. We expect that in, in our politics. thing. We, we expect that in the world. But sometimes in the church, we're like, nah, we don't need to do that. 
But we must understand that within the church, God has given us the divine principle of authority and submission. Notice that he uses the word head. The head is the the top of the body and it directs the rest of the body. So it's at the top of the body, so it is above every other part of your member. But not only that, the rest of your body, all the members, your fingers, your toes, your elbow, everything functions according to how the head directs you. If there's something wrong with the head, then then you're going to have something wrong with the body. The body's not going to function correctly. So we understand that... through the scriptures that that word head means authority the authority that one has been given over others and so paul gives this preordained line of authority that before the creation of the earth before time itself that when god was beginning that god had this wonderful plan in mind this is how he was going to create this is how it worked before creation and this is how it works now that we have creation and it's how it should work today so notice the the divine order notice first he says we have christ who is the head of every man christ is our head beloved christ is our head. For, for men and women he is our head we follow him but especially here he makes the point of men that that jesus is the authority and the example of all men Men, you are to imitate your life according to Christ. Because you have it there in verse 1 where he says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Christ is my authority. And so as men, we submit to the Word of God. We submit to the commands and the will of God. We do not act independently, men, of ourselves. We act according to the instructions that we've been given to Christ. But notice now, he says next, that the man is the head of a woman. And so this is, in our day, it is not politically correct. It is certainly not a, a thing that is, that is growing in the culture. I would never dare say that, that we have not sinned and that at one point in our lives, or, and we even see this throughout the day, where, where we think more of men and less of women, but now it seems that a feminist movement has certainly gained hold. And so now we live in a culture today where men need to, to be brought down uh, to a place of submission and apologize for their manliness and women are to be idolized and all that. You just see the pendulum swinging. We can never seem to get this right. And so here we see that this is not a teaching that people like in our culture today. But God has decreed that the man is the head of the woman. And but this, divine, this is the divine order things. Man is placed in authority over the woman. We see it in creation and we even see it even after the fall. That men are to lead our women. Beloved, this is mainly in the church and in the home. We understand the context here is, is the issue of that this means a man is to lead and that women are to follow. Now I'm going to explain a little bit more of this. But we see here that this is the divine order of things given to us by God. Notice that Paul does not apologize for this. Paul does not try to just explain this away. He just says what it is. And then finally, notice we have God who is the head of Christ. God the Father has no head. There is no one above God. God is the ultimate authority. He is at the very top of the food chain. He directs men. He directs women. He directs all of creation. And notice also that he directs who? Jesus Christ. And we can even say the Holy Spirit. So, so you're going to look at this in just a moment. I'm going to explain this. But, but notice here that God directs men, women, creation, and yes, even Jesus. So Christ and the Holy Spirit are submissive to the will of the Father, to God, who is the ultimate authority. Now, the great Adrian Rogers summed it up this way. 
He said, God has given us a divine or definite chain of command. He says, it is God the Father, God the Son, the man, and then the woman. He says, that means that God the Son has taken a place of submission to God the Father. That the man is to be submissive to God the Son. And that the woman is to be submissive to the man whom God has placed as her head. Now let me just deal with this very quickly. This is one of these things that your culture does not like. and, and, And let us be honest with ourselves that for many of us, we don't just like this. And I'm not just speaking to women, I'm speaking to men as well. We don't like authority and submission unless we're the ones who are in authority and everybody is submitting to us. That is the sinful nature that you and I have. We see it from the very moment that our children... We see this in our own children that when they come into the world that they themselves believe that they are the authority over parents. So they don't, we see this. It is the nature of man due to the fall. And so especially though in our culture we don't like this idea. This issue of the man being the head and the woman submitting. But beloved, in the great words of Dr. Vodibachum, I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. If you have a problem with this, your problem is with God. Your problem is with God. If, if you come to that and you say, how dare he preach on that? Or how, do, do, do we not know that we are more educated today in 2021, Right? We are far more educated today and we understand things better and so therefore it works differently. You have a problem with God. Because this is God's divine holy word that has been decreed to you, been decreed to me. And if we look at this word in this verse or any other verse and we say, I don't like that thing right there. I don't believe that thing right there. You have a problem with God. And so so this is what Paul gives us. Now, sadly, we look at this and we think all negative. Authority and submission, right? We look at them and we think, man, it's so negative. But there is a beauty here that has been lost due to our sinful nature. Because we have bought into a culture who has brainwashed us and told us something that is not true. And so I could give you point after point this morning of how beautiful this verse is and how beautiful this divine order is. But I'm only going to be able to give you two this morning. First, I want you to see this, that we learn from this verse, from the, the order here, that authority and submission do not determine one's equality and value. Amen. How do we know this? How, how do we know that, that though, though God has given man one role and woman another role, that man and woman are still equal in the same way? Well, he, he shows us here in the verse. He tells us about the, the father and the son. That Jesus himself submitted to God the Father. We know this. We know the Father had a will. That the Father said, Son, I've got this will. I'm going to send you. And you're going to live this perfect life. And you're going to die on the cross for the sins of all who would believe in you. And then from your death, you're going to rise from the grave, bringing, bringing victory to all them that they may be saved. But you're going to have to die. And you're going to have to drink the cup of my wrath. And so Jesus holds the cup. He's he, not literally he's saying, Father, take this cup from me there in the garden. He's talking about the wrath of God. God, is there any other way? Is there any other thing? No, son, there is no other way. Then let thy will be done. And Jesus submitted to the Father for your salvation. 
Is Jesus any less than God? Is Jesus inferior to God the Father in any way? No. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all three equal. But the Father has this plan, this will, and the Son submits to the Father, and the Spirit submits to the Son and the Father. And so Paul is saying to us that though Christ submitted to the will of the Father, in the same way that He is not inferior to the Father, man and woman are equal, though they have different roles and different responsibilities. But not only that, beloved, secondly, the authority and the submission are practiced in love. Sadly, sin has warped God's intended purpose of authority and submission. And so authority today is looked at, is always seen as this weaponized, you know, it's a weapon of the tyrants, even to the point that it's not. That's how we view it, right? So, so therefore, we got to rebel against the, the people in power. We got, to, we got to rebel because they're tyrants that they have authority. And submission, well, it's like a wild, uncontrollable animal. A horse that will not be broken. Beloved, this is not the way it was from the beginning. But there in the garden before the fall, Adam and Eve were in perfect harmony with one another. Authority and submission. Working together that God may be glorified. Biblical authority and submission are perfectly illustrated in the Trinity. That the Father loved the Son and the Spirit. That the Son loved the Father and the Spirit. And that the Spirit loved the Son and the Father. No tension, no problems, but working together in harmony with one another. Why? For your salvation, for the glory of the Father. Do do you see how this worked out, beloved, that, that today you're able to gather here in this place because God Himself, God the Son, submitted to the will of the Father Do you know the day that you can be saved today that because the Spirit is working in our hearts today that Christ who died for your sins who rose from the grave, beloved that all who would repent and believe could be saved today and now that He's sitting there interceding on our behalf and the Spirit is out here doing the will of the Father He is working amongst us, drawing us you have an opportunity today to be saved. Why? Because of the love between the the, the Trinity between the God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so I would call upon you today, beloved, that you would repent of your sins and believe upon Jesus Christ. That you would embrace the gospel that we see, of the divine principle of authority and submission that worked in love to bring us to salvation. I would call you today to repent of your sin and come to know Christ. But we see here that authority and submission were never practiced as a, as a club of tyrants or the unbridled rebellion of a of a wild animal authority and submission is to be practiced in the same way that god had meant it to be which is to be practiced in love for the glory of god and for the good of man beloved the divine order points to what we as southern baptists like to call and others call complementarianism Complementarianism, it is the teaching that though that, that masculinity and, and femininity are, are ordained by God. They're ordained by God that men and women are created equally, but are created differently in the same time. That they may, on the one hand, complement and complete each other. That when men do their role of leading, 
and yielding authority properly. And when ladies follow their role in being the helpmate and do it properly, that we complement and we complete God's plan. And so like the Trinity, we are equal, but we are different. Authority and submission practiced on the basis of love. And to reverse this, to reverse God's order would be the opposite of, comp- of complimenting and completing. To reverse this would be to divide and incomplete. It would be to divide and make incomplete your home. To make incomplete the church and make incomplete society. And here's the thing. When you reverse it, you get something ugly and despicable. You get something that was never supposed to be. And you're seeing it played out before your very eyes. The politicians are fighting for you to to vote and to agree with them. That a man can reverse his role and become a woman and a woman can reverse her step and become a man. It is vulgar and disgusting and i don't mean that just because from a from a social economic whatever cult i mean that from the eyes of god it is the very reversal of what god has ordained and so now we come to the problem what was the problem within this church look at at verse four and five he says every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved so so now the the great mystery of the head coverings comes forth is this saying the woman should or should not wear hats or veils in church by no means that's not what this is that's not what this is about. What is it saying? Well, the word head, the word here means, the head covering means having down from your head and usually refers to a veil or either a shawl that would just cover the hair. And so Paul, and so understand, Paul is not stating a divine universal principle that all ladies have to wear hats or not wear hats or anything like that. What Paul is stating here is a sign of submission to authority. A symbol to signify a woman's commitment and submission to her husband and to signify a man's commitment to lead his wife and his church well. This is a custom that is practiced in many uh, Eastern countries today. And sadly, I wish I had time to speak on this, but we know that throughout history that, that ladies have not been treated with the respect and the love and the value that they deserve. We, we understand that, that history can be rather ugly on things. And even present day, these things can even happen. But here's, here's the great news. What rose up that shed light on this, on how a woman is to be viewed and treated? The Word of God. And so Christianity, the rise of Christianity changed this in many places. And so women were seen as they were meant to be seen, that they were created in the image of God, equal to man, and able to offer much to the world, able to offer much into the home, able to offer much in the church. And so in these areas of worship, they were, or at one time, they were at the back behind a veil. They have now in Corinth been brought forth and and brought to sit with their husbands and sit with their family and to be able to participate, be able to pray, to be able to do things within the church. It was a beautiful freedom that God's Word had brought forth. 
But in Corinth, the head coverings remained. Why? Because it was a symbol of submission and devotion to their husbands and to the church. And it was a symbol for men that they were leading their homes and their church well. It pointed to the divine order. But sadly, the church's rebellion, I'm sorry, the culture's rebellion against God's order began to make its way into the church. Paul says that there were women in the days of Rome, in the days of in Corinth, that rebelled against male authority. So much so they shaved their head and dressed like men to make a statement, to symbolize that they will not be held down, that they are the ones in charge. You will not tell us what to do. You will not lead us. We will lead you. And here's the thing. It was a great disgrace because at the end of the day, it was slaves whose heads were shaved and prostitutes. But these women saw it as a symbol of beauty, a symbol of freedom. And so they would do this. And so Paul is saying that this culture of feminism, this culture of, of reversing the divine order, had made its way into the church. And beloved, it's made its way into our church today as well. You can think of it along this way. A woman who says, I will not wear my wedding band when I go out. I will not wear my wedding ring because ain't no man going to hold me back. Or as one lawyer said to a, to a baseball player from the Chicago Cubs the other day that his, about his wife who was having an affair, her lawyer said to him, she can be with whoever she wants to be with. You have no devotion, she has no devotion to you. Or how about this one where the, where the man takes the last name of the woman or they take a new name because we don't want to do that whole divine principle and authority submission thing. Or how about a person who changes his gender so he can go compete in the Olympics? Sadly, the rebellion has found its way into the church. And the problem is, is that we want to think it's actually about a head covering when actually it's not the, the letter of the law but the spirit that it's pointing to. The problem here was the reversal of divine order. The church had accepted what the culture said about who is really and has authority. And notice, for the culture, it was man and woman. There was no God. Men were not to lead. And women were not to submit. Men wearing head coverings symbolized they had abandoned their call to lead their homes, to lead their churches, to lead spiritually and in other ways. And that they had come under the authority of their wives, or the ladies in the church. The ladies not wearing head covering symbolized that their rebellion to authority, they would not follow the men. And that they themselves were in authority. And here's the thing within the church. Notice it said, notice again, praying and prophesying. The two roles of the pastor. The pastor would lead through preaching of God's word and lead by approaching God on behalf of the people in prayer. So what you had in Corinth in the church was the women began to take the role as pastors of the church in prayer and preaching. Can a woman not pray out loud in church? Of course she could pray out loud in church. Can a a woman not serve the church? Of course she can serve the church. Does a woman not have something that she can offer? Can she not minister and and do things within the church? Of course she can, but she cannot do it as the role of pastor. 
We see this also in First Timothy chapter 2. In verse 12, he says, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. He doesn't mean that women cannot talk there. He, this is a pastoral epistle. He's speaking to Timothy, who's a pastor. He's talking about women who were preaching and have, and listen, you cannot separate pastor from preaching. The role of the pastor is to preach. So they had reversed the order. And so, beloved, I ask you this question this morning. Is it sinful for a man or a woman to reverse the, the physical order and swap genders? Is it wrong? Yes, it's wrong. It's sinful. Why? Because God has, de- has decreed it not be that way. God has decreed your gender. And when you reverse it, you are being unfaithful to his decree. And you reverse the order. So then my question is this. Is it any less wrong within the church when we reverse the order spiritually? Because the Bible tells me that the spiritual is greater than the physical. The spiritual takes priority. The spiritual takes priority over even the physical. So when we begin to reverse the divine order within the spiritual life, where, where our men are not leading their homes and they're not leading the church, and our, and our wives and ladies are the ones who are leading and having authority, is it not also wrong? Again, I know that this may be hard and you may not like it. But this is the decree of God. I know that it may not be politically correct. But this is God's design. And so, FBC, we are seeing this very problem creep into the church where men are not leading their churches and they're not leading their homes. They cover their face with a veil a spiritual veil when it comes to leadership, and they hide behind the veil with the excuses of, I'm too busy or I'm too tired. They hide behind the veil. I'll let someone else teach my children about God. I'll let someone else lead my wife in these things. They do not follow Christ in their own spiritual life, nor do they lead their own homes or their church. Therefore, they leave both the church and the house void of godly leadership. And we would never think about leaving our wives and our children without a protector. Physically, right? And yet we do it spiritually all the time, hiding behind a veil. We place huge burdens on our wives to carry a load, to carry not only their own responsibility, but ours as well. And the faith family, we leave, we put a huge responsibility on the, on the five to ten percent of people who do, who do a hundred percent of the work, right? You have that ten percent of people who do a hundred percent of the work. And because we have men who are hiding behind a veil, who will not lead, who will not work. And the reason is, is that they have other things that are too important. Well, there's a reason why our churches have such a hard time getting volunteers. Why well, our churches have such a hard time getting people to lead, to teach and do things. There's a reason it's hard to find pastors to, t- to go and to pastor these churches who cannot find them. Because we have men who are not leading. But instead, they are not, they are not submitting to Christ. 
And we are seeing women in our day who, who, are, who are rebelling against the teachings of God and running after a godless society to find the world. They're not looking to the, to the love and the value from their husbands or from their church or from God. They run into the world like the prodigal son who ran into the world to find his worth, to find his pleasure, to find his value. That they can make something of themselves. That they can see themselves as being something more. They compete for authority in their home and they compete for authority in the church causing great division and from their mouths rather than having the encouragement and love and being the helpmate that God had made them to be they become a constant criticism rather than the encouragement that God had had planned for them. And this splinters the relationship between man and woman, between husband and wife. And it robs the home and it robs the church of the joy and the love and the warmth and the service. We're seeing churches who apologize for men who lead and who do everything they can to find a way to empower women. We see churches who apologize for, for God's divine order so that they can bring women into the pulpit, so they can, they can do something that, that, that the culture and CNN may be happy and applaud us. Here's the problem with this. You are rebelling against the teaching of God. You are rebelling against the teaching of God. And that is something God does not take lightly. And so God, beloved, has called you and I to be faithful to the teaching. Notice verse 6. We now come to the the prerogative or even the choice. Look Look at what he says. He says, For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. What is this saying? Paul is saying make a choice. It is the same approach of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, that when, that when Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal, when he said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow God. But if he is not, follow Baal. If God is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow Baal. And so Paul says to, to the women and to the men, I believe in this, he says, if you're not going to submit to the, to the divine order of God, then shave your head. In other words, if you're not going to submit to the divine order of God, don't cloud your disobedience and your, and your lack of submission and righteousness. Instead, make a decision, shave your head, and be like the world. Don't be lukewarm. Don't make your rebellion seem righteous. And I would say to the men, I would believe Paul would agree on this, that if you are not going to lead your family, if you are not going to lead our church, then put on a veil. Make a choice. Quit wavering between two opinions. God has given you a responsibility and He has given you a role. So brothers and sisters, we have a choice before us this morning. We have a choice to either make our homes and our churches as God has preordained them to be. We have a, we have a choice to lead and to submit as God would have us to in our homes as husband and wife. And to lead and submit as God would have us to within the church. And by the way, the Southern Baptist Convention has a choice as well. We have a choice as well. We can either choose to follow God and His design for men and women, or we don't. It's that simple. Stop trying to to, to twist this and make it look righteous. In the words of Tom Askell, we have a book. 
We have a book and it is called the Word of God. It's called the Bible. And either you and I follow it, all of it, or we don't. But let us not twist it. Let us not make it into something that it is not and somehow disguise our disobedience in righteousness. Because again, if we say that it is wrong for a man to physically change his gender or a woman to change her, why would we not dare say that it is wrong for a man and woman to swap the responsibilities that God has ordained for them? What is different in that? The problem is, is we have a culture who tells us what we are to do. But FBC, you have been given a choice today. You can either follow the the culture if it is God. Or if God is God, you can follow Him. And so my prayer for you is this this morning. My prayer is that you will follow the design of God. That there are men and women in here who may need to repent of this. Or there may be men and women who need to be encouraged in this. My prayer this morning is you will see the beauty. And next week I'm going to expound on this a little more. The beauty of God's design and complementarianism. That we stop fighting against. the go- That we fight against. Not stop fighting. That we start fighting against the godless push of our culture today. To reverse that which God has given us. That we fight against our own sinful natures. To not fulfill our own responsibilities and our own role. Men, stop hiding behind the veil. Lead your family. Gather your family and read the Bible to them and pray over them. Get your family up on Sunday mornings, men, and get them in church and do it on time. Do it on time. Because, because if, if we're just going to be lazy about it and we're just going to come, it's about being leaders and about being proficient at this and about, about us being at church and getting our, our children and our wives there that we would get them in the place of God, that God can speak into them. So come to Sunday school and be on time. Come to worship that you may worship. Get your family into a Sunday school class. Get them here on Wednesday night. Get them here on Sunday nights. Lead your family. Men, lead the church. We need leaders in the church. We need people. We need to stop having to look out there for people to do the things that, that you can do in here. We are in a battle against Satan and demons and a godless culture who wants nothing but to destroy our homes and nothing but to destroy our churches, nothing but to destroy us. And we need warriors. We need men who are going to pick up their swords and their shields and go to battle. And not to mention this, that we are a fight. We are, we are raising against time, beloved, for the souls of people in this city and in this parish. So we need men who are going to lead us and direct us in evangelizing and getting people into the prayer rooms and getting people into church who haven't been coming to church but yet are on the membership role. We need people who are going to lead, men who are going to lead to go evangelize people who are godless and don't know the Lord. Take off the veil. You are a man. You are a man of God. You are not a woman. You are not, it is not your role to sit back or to, that's not you. You are a man. You are to fight the battles. Grab your sword, grab your shield, and let's go to war. We don't have enough men leading. And we want to make this about women, and we want to make this, that, that is, this is about them. Our men need to lead. And ladies, stop looking. Stop looking for your value out there. 
stop looking to your value out there. You are phenomenal and great and you are equal. And in more ways, you are probably better at doing a lot of things than we are. But God has called you to be a helpmate. God has called you to serve in this beautiful role where, where you serve your home and your husband and you serve your church in a beautiful way. And there is so much serving that needs to be done here. There are so many things below that you can do, ladies. Hear me something this morning. There are so many places. Don't think that there's not a work to do. And don't think that it's not glorious. And don't think that it is somehow people being a tyrant. There is roles and there are things here. Walk beside your husband. Love your husband. Encourage your husband. Care for your husband. And support your husband. And showcase your love of First Baptist for people by serving them in your home and in the church. And let your neighbors see the love of Christ by your willingness to serve them. Care and serve as God has made you. J.C. Ryle said there is only one standard of truth. There's only one standard of truth and error to which we ought to appeal. That standard is the Holy Scriptures. Whatsoever is there written, we must receive it and believe it. God has given us a divine order of things. We believe it, we receive it. And whatsoever cannot be proved by Scripture, we ought to refuse. I refuse to accept a godless culture's view of men and women. FBC, it is time that we actually put to faith, put to practice what the Bible says and realize that it's good. It's good. Let's pray.